0: Our Communities, thank you so much for listening to our very special holiday programming. I'm Renee Danino, and I'm very, very excited to have in here our partners in the community from Trantolo and Trantolo, the president of Trantolo and Trantolo, Keith. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having me, Renee. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you to you and your family and team for being partners in the community with us. We appreciate your support. It's our honor to do so, tonight. Yeah, and we've got a lot of great community events happening towards the end of the year and into 2022, so you're going to be hearing and seeing a lot from Keith and uh, everyone at Trantolo and Trantolo, so I am very excited about that. To bring us important programs like the one we're going to talk about today, what can happen to you if you're caught driving under the influence, and we're going to talk a little bit about what the influence could be, and then also if you're a victim, uh, what are your options and steps for protection? So with that, I am super excited to welcome from Connecticut State Police, Trooper First Class Pedro Munez and Trooper First Class Sarah Salerno. Thank you both so much for being here today. Thank Thank you you for for having us. us. Oh, I love it. In unison. Mm. You know, you all have uh, been a part of my program now pretty, pretty heavily for the past couple of years, especially through the pandemic, getting out great information. And this is something you all are too well aware of, and that are the stats of what driving under the influence means here in Connecticut. I do unfortunately think, though, when people hear stats, it's almost like that orange alert. You know, you hear the numbers, you know, the news will recap over a holiday weekend or, you know, we're heading into the holidays now don't drink and drive, don't drive while buzz, don't, Drive while you're distracted, and you hear the numbers, but I feel like it's almost in the background sometimes when people at home aren't affected by that. Right. Um, what can you remind our audience about, and uh, maybe a Trooper Salina will go with you first? Some stats uh, in past holidays, as as we're leading up to the, to these now.
2: Well, we had a little bit of a gap in 2020 because of the pandemic. Yeah. So it changed a lot of our driving stats just because the volume of traffic had changed. Back in 2019, Connecticut. State Police, and I can only speak for Connecticut State Police. We don't have the statistics for each individual municipal department. But in 2019, Connecticut State Police investigated 1,902 suspected DUI incidents. And then in 2020, we saw a little bit of a shift. It was 1,443 suspected incidents of DUI, OUI being operating under the influence And then so far in 2021, we already have 1,796 incidents of suspected DUI, OUI, and that's as of December 6th.
0: And we are recording this program to let everyone know on December 8th, and we're planning on putting this on all of our social media platforms, running this interview multiple times just because we want to make sure people are well aware of what could potentially be facing them if they are caught driving under the influence. And then we'll get into all of the, the other things That are associated with that, but does that concern you as we're headed towards, you know, the the Christmas holidays, the New Year holidays? I mean, that's that's a lot of 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 people driving under the influence.
2: It's quite the volume in the state of Connecticut, and we very much appreciate the opportunity to get out in front of it this year. So, thank you so much for having us here, because I'm hoping that people hearing this are going to recognize that they're hearing the stats in advance of the end of the year when we typically report them. So this is an opportunity to really raise awareness about the issue in the state.
0: Trooper Muniz, is it different now that with the legalization of marijuana in the state of Connecticut, and I, don't, I haven't followed all those stats, but is it is it harder or is it different now when you're looking at um, giving someone a ticket or pulling someone over for a DUI? Is it still considered DUI?
3: It's still considered DUI. And nothing really has changed on our end on that aspect, right? Uh, If you're operating under the influence, whether it's drugs, alcohol, and that includes marijuana, it's still a DUI. It's still driving under the influence or operating under the influence. So that, that aspect, that has not changed. And we've had procedures in place already prior to this legalization uh, to detect what 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 you're under the influence.
0: I have a horrible question to ask. Do we know a a number of fatalities at this point or will that be released at the end of the year?
2: At this point, resulting from DUIs and and granted the cases from this year, many of them are not yet completed as far as the actual accident investigation goes. But right now we have a zero. Oh, my goodness. So right now we have zero that zero fatal accidents in the state of Connecticut, which have been proven to be the result of DUI, OUI. And that, that's actually very encouraging, and I'm just hoping that we can maintain that through the end of the year, because that would be wonderful to see that we got through the year without any DUI fatalities in the state of Connecticut. All
0: right, let's all touch wood here in this studio right now a little bit here because you know if, if there is a silver lining, I guess that would be it. And before we go any further with our troopers, I do want to bring in Keith Trantolo because you see people after the, the tickets have been given or after the events have happened and that's where you come into action. Um, I'd like to talk about what happens on the victim side. What should someone be prepared for or what can they mentally think about now in advance of, of a possibility of a crash? Because I, I know we go into shock and sometimes we don't take pictures or we don't get information. What can victims do to help protect themselves?
1: Well, in a lot of instances, I'll have clients come in, um, you know, and they're they're having an interaction with the person who may have struck them or been involved in an accident with them prior to the arrival of the police. Um, so they may get some intuitive um, be, you know, reaction Based on their interaction with that driver that they are not sober right um, and you know a lot of times that'll be relayed to the troopers when they arrive on scene or the local police who arrive on scene um, but it is important to remember that so that when you do and if you have to come see an attorney like me that you want to relay that to me um, because there is an added layer of responsibility um, that we can allege against someone who has done that, and it's reckless, because driving under the influence of alcohol is reckless, which is above what we would call a negligence standard, which is, oops, I made a mistake. I should not have done that. Right. Um, speeding could be negligent. But if you're speeding at a high, ex- in, in, in excessive speeds uh, under the influence of alcohol, that would likely rise, raise to the level of recklessness at this point. And that's also a charge that could be brought against them legally.
0: What kind of charges could someone face? And I know it's hard to to just generalize because every incident is is different. So we don't we're just kind of talking about you know hypothetically at this point. But you know, uh, Trooper immunez or, or Salina, if you could answer this, what are some of the charges someone could potentially face if they are pulled over with a DUI?
2: Well, for starters, obviously the operating under the influence of alcohol or drugs would be one charge. Um, if it's based off of a traffic stop, it probably was initiated because we saw you failing to maintain the lane, swerving, uh, reckless driving, tailgating, taking a really wide turn, crossing over into the other lane and doing so, failing to signal. So usually there's a a predicating motor vehicle violation, a moving violation before we'll stop a car. Beyond that, you could look at any, there are a number of charges. It could be operation of a motor vehicle with a child passenger. That's a separate charge now, and it's also a, an automatic call to uh, Department of Children and families, and they will they will also get involved in the investigation risk of injury to a minor manslaughter second degree if you if you happen to cause someone's death, manslaughter second degree under the influence of alcohol or drugs so there could be a large number it's a of slew of, of charges it, it is sounds it, like there's a lot of potential to to really hurt some people
0: Triez is it different if you're a first time offender or if you are kind of checking off all of those incidents that Trooper Leonard was just mentioning, is it is it different if you're a first time offender versus a second time or
3: it it there is a little bit of a difference sometimes, um, but it really depends on case by case. Yeah. Now usually um with first time offenders now with the um there's the interlocking interlocking uh mechanism that is yeah. placed in the vehicle now. That's mandated for first offenders as well. Now so you if you are a first offender, you automatically have to get you get that uh that machine in your in your vehicle. Keith,
0: okay. can we talk about that please? The, the yeah, let me just inter- yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, not to
1: cut you off, but let me just interject that um that that interlocking device is one of the biggest, I think, deterrents that yes. a lot of people uh can can really listen up here uh and pay attention to. So what I also wanted to mention was that It doesn't matter when a trooper pulls over an individual they don't they may have a knowledge after they look up the license plate if they've had a DUI before but they're generally not going to treat them any differently it's the standard is the standard and then the police will refer that matter to the criminal courts and and at that point the criminal courts will then impose whatever penalties or sanctions they believe is is necessary but the interlocking device is relatively new Um, it's actually A breathalyzer that you have to have installed in your car at your expense, and you have to rent it monthly. Um, So somebody out there is making a nice penny making these things and leasing them uh, out to people who are mandated by the courts to place them in the vehicle. Now, what happens is so every morning that you would then get up and go to work, you have to blow into this interlocking ignition device. And if it detects even a hint of alcohol, your vehicle will not operate. It won't turn on. Um, In addition to that, that information, I believe, is sent to the appropriate authorities uh, who are then going to likely uh, charge you with a second offense of operating under the influence unless there is a reasonable explanation for why Uh, The machine has detected alcohol and that's just Renee every time you get in your car So if you go to work, then you go to lunch, then you go back for the to the rest of the day every time you turn the car on uh, y- y- you have to use it.
0: And you were mentioning before we started our conversation today that even Scope or Listerine or any mouthwash products may, or anything that may contain alcohol in it, could that's how sensitive the product is.
1: Yeah, and, and for that reason, they, they want to be able to detect any, anybody trying to cover it up with gum or any other substance. But yes, there have been instances already, and I'm sure they're trying to recalibrate right, right. it appropriately, but there have been instances where people have you know, used a uh, Listerine in the morning and gone out. and.
0: Well, hey, rather to be safe, safe than sorry, right? But yeah. let me ask a question going back prior to getting that interlocking device. Now, that obviously is going to be mandated by the court, but can you walk me through what happens when you, you make that arrest?
3: When we make that traffic stop and you're suspected to be driving under the influence, uh, in our case, you get brought back to the barracks, we give you the test for the breathalyzer. Um, if you do, if that does come in over the limit at 0.8 or 0.08, then uh we actually see uh take your license for 24 hours. Okay. So you're not allowed to drive for the next 24 hours. You actually have to get brought back in. You you actually got, have to get brought back in uh, by somebody else. Okay. to actually come pick your license up physically. So initially right off the bat your your license is is taken physically for 24 hours.
0: And then what happens after that? Do they impound he- the car too?
3: I think for 48 hours after that. If you if you if it's the car yeah. you're using, yeah. So uh, that and that is uh, that's also true as well. We do the vehicle does get towed, and then they have to pay the towing, the towing charges, charges, the, the, the storage that, charges right? just to go get their car. T- so you're going to lose your car for
1: 48 hours automatically. Then you have to go pay all these fines to get the car, for lack of a to better get, term, out of jail. Right, you
3: got to get your car out. You got to come back get your license. Um, so yeah, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of steps that have to be taken just even before going to court.
0: You know, do you think uh, Trooper Salerno, if people were more aware of all of the mechanical steps behind the charges, do you think they would be less likely to to drive under the influence? Because I never even thought about that. So you have to pay. And these are before any other charges are brought up against you and before the interlocking device. Right. right? And or even finding a lawyer. Right. So, so so, Trooper Salerno, what are some of the other things that people may not be aware of that are associated with, you know, getting pulled over besides maybe even having to tell your employer, you know what I mean? That's gonna come out too. Absolutely,
2: I think that there's a lack of understanding about how much this can impact your life if you do wind up being charged with DUI. And that's not to encourage somebody from you know, attempting to flee a traffic stop or anything like that. If the state police are mistaken about the situation, if it turns out that it's of a medical nature, if you're having a diabetic issue or you're hypoglycemic, some other medical issue, just to allow us to do our job and evaluate you and, you know, let us make the determination that you need an ambulance as opposed to an arrest. Right. We do take that into account, but this can have far-reaching effects in your life. I, I had a, a DUI arrest last year, and um, it was an individual who drove for a living. That was a big part of his job, and he had to—he was actually in his employer's vehicle at the time of the oh, DUI, okay. so he had to go and explain to his— employers. He was, you know, dealing with the loss of his driver's license. Um, the per se proceedings through DMV did in fact suspend his license. So he wasn't able to drive anymore. And that was his livelihood. Yeah.
1: And if you're a commercial driver,
2: yes, it's even
1: worse. It's worse. Uh, they will, I, I don't, I have to be honest, I don't know what the suspension regulations Mm -hmm. on that. I think you lose it for a commercial driver's license is a very sensitive matter. And if they catch anyone driving under the influence with a CDL it's going to be suspended indefinitely i would i would imagine
0: so this can affect your your livelihood this Absolutely. affects your bank account this affects every aspect of your life and also if you're a victim of uh, someone who has been driving under the influence it can affect your lives as well because maybe if you're hurt i mean thankfully we haven't had any fatalities that we know of at this point so we hope to keep it that way but you know if you were hurt in any way shape or form that could affect you going to work that could affect a lot of things and i'm sure you talked to a lot of people keith uh, about that so what rights do people have are they any different than any other type of an accident if, if they've been hurt generally i mean the injuries are going to be the injuries is the same right yeah, i mean, injuries are going to
1: be the injuries, and they should be compensated appropriately for those injuries. Um, I I think it goes to the nature of what happened in Mm. that accident. I think that uh, certainly alcohol exacerbates people's frustration, perhaps in a jury trial, with why they might be here in a jury trial with someone who clearly uh, was under the influence of alcohol and and caused an accident uh, that resulted in someone being injured. Uh, And I've handled some cases where people are life-changing, catastrophically injured uh, as a result of someone's poor choice.
0: We do a lot of work with Mad too. And I know you know that we've supported all their walks this year. Absolutely. And um, to hear the survivor stories, I mean, the survivor stories are incredible and inspiring and heartbreaking at the same time with what people right. have to go through. And I think more people need to see the result of leaving a, an office holiday party, everybody's happy, Merry Christmas, I'll see you in the new year, and then something awful happens. I don't think people make that connection. Oh, it's not going to happen to me. And I'm sure it's very hard for you as troopers, and I'm sure any law enforcement listener right now, you don't go out on the road seeking to arrest people and ruin their lives for, for, for driving under the influence. But honestly, you know, you're being put into that position.
3: Right, absolutely. I mean... Like you said, you're, you're not – you don't intentionally – you're not going out there intentionally trying to let – you know, most people don't go out there intentionally to say I'm going to drink and drive and get into an accident. Right. Um, being a trooper for myself for a little over nine years now, seeing the accidents that have – that we've come across on a day-to-day basis, seeing the injuries uh, as um, Keith was talking about, it, it, it impacts us as officers, as troopers to see that. And, and we want to prevent that from happening. We've seen those stories Firsthand, um, from the, like you said, from the med uh, program, and they, it it, it really t- it, for a lot of us, it impacts us, it, it leaves a mark on us, and we we want to prevent from that ha- prevent that from happening.
0: Trooper Salerno, is there anything that we in the media can do to better get your messaging out? Because it's very complicated. There are many reasons. Uh, people are driving while distracted or under the influence. What can we do as media outlets to make your job easier?
2: I think this is a, a fantastic forum that we have here today because, as you can tell, and I'm speaking to the audience right now, nothing good comes from operating under the influence. It, it doesn't take much alcohol. In 2019, they did a study, and uh, it only takes about 02 BAC for you to start having impairments. And that's well before the legal limit in Connecticut, which is 0.08. It doesn't take a lot of alcohol to start affecting your, your muscle control, your ability to react to uh, visual stimuli, multitasking. It, it really doesn't take much to impact that. And, and no good can come from that. You're, you're driving a large metal object. And, and so much can go wrong. Um, I think putting the stats out there is great for people to understand what has happened in years past. And I I speak from personal experience. I used to be assigned to Troop G in Bridgeport on I-95. And around the holidays, we saw an astounding number of people who were really, you know, well thought of in the community, professionals, PhDs, school teachers, and their lives unfortunately we were impacted by a DUI arrest. And it was sad to see because most of them were leaving holiday parties or family gatherings. And that was when we encountered them. And it was just sad to see how much they were about to go through. And we were grateful to take them off the road because our priority really is safety. It's not about hammering down on people who are under the influence as much as it is we need to take you off the road. You are unsafe.
0: And another aspect of all of this are the host of the parties or the establishments that people may be leaving from and then getting into these incidents. Who's responsible? Where does the responsibility fall? And Keith, I I see you nodding your head over this.
1: I've actually offered just to pay for Uber. Yeah. You know, well, I, I can't afford it or whatever the situation is, even though they just drank $40 worth of alcohol. But yeah. the point being is that I think the encouragement and the availability of, of, of not having to drive your car um, and really pre-planning, like we're having a Christmas party. I've told all my employees Uber there and then Uber home and the right. company will take care of it. I'd rather do that than have anybody out there even risking uh, being under the influence. As we were saying, 0. 0.02 is all it takes. Um, I've worked with a bunch of, of expert toxicologists in the cases I've handled over the years. and But each alcoholic drink, and, and I'm not talking about the, uh, by the way, the triple IPA uh, beers <laughs> that are out there today. <laughs> hey guys, that's not what I'm talking about. If you have a glass of wine or a cocktail that is mixed with a standard amount of alcohol, uh, or a, a regular beer, like a Budweiser or something, that is about 3.2 uh, per, um, per, per uh, drink. Um, each, so if you imbibe one of those in an hour, it's .02 into your system. Meaning, that's one drink. Yeah. So if you have, let's say, three drinks in an hour... You're about at 0.06 if you add 0.02, 0.02, 0.02. Okay. And in that hour, the body burns off about 0.02. So you're still about at 0.04. I wouldn't get behind the car, if you, behind the wheel of anything. Uh, if you've had three drinks in an hour, just don't do it. Or wait three hours or two hours for that to burn off. What I generally do if I'm at a party is have, if I'm going to have alcohol, alcohol, water. Alcohol, water,
2: right balance. Uh, it always gives and you something eat. to hold in your hand. Yeah, yeah, you got to yeah.
1: eat something, and I don't want people to start doing math to figure out how to drive. Uh, don't worry, safe. I can't do math. It's I'm a DJ. just a matter yeah. of you have to <laughs> recognize yeah. that every drink is about 0. .02, and so the more that you have, you're adding it up, and this is what happens. I think a lot is people don't recognize that they may feel competent to drive the car, but they're in fact .08, .09, .10 and they just don't recognize it and they get behind the wheel. That's what happens.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, three drinks in an hour, my party's over. I have to go to bed. So for me, (laughs) I guess when you get a little older, things change.
1: Uh, So in commercial setting, and I know you started with residential, I'll I'll come back to that. In a commercial setting where someone owns a bar uh, or even a liquor store, um, some people don't recognize that a liquor store is still a purveyor of the sale of alcohol. So in other words, uh, I, I see some some shocked look on your face. Let me yeah. tell you this. If an intoxicated person drives up to oh,
0: I see what you're saying. a
1: liquor store okay. and they walk in, and okay. it's pretty apparent from their mannerisms that they sh- are not sober, that person who owns that liquor store has a duty to okay. reject the sale and say, I am not going to sell you any more alcohol. Primarily because they watch them drive up. They know they're All about right. to just go back and get in the car and probably imbibe it maybe right. while operating. Um, but bars um, and bartenders have a duty to really keep track of who they're serving and how many times they are serving that person and the rule really is if they're exhibiting any outwardly signs of intoxication um they shouldn't continue to serve them all right um socially in terms of social host liability where someone has a party um That's really, it's a tough thing because everybody's an adult when they go to the adult's house. uh, You know, I think the common theory is we're not here to babysit everyone. Everyone is an adult. They make their own choice. Um, However, if someone is serving uh, jello shots or has, um, you know, um, a big back in college, we used to have the big ice luge things. A lot of people do that at parties.
0: I have one at my wedding because we're classic. There you go. Thank you.
1: So when you have that kind of thing and and perhaps you're aware that people are over imbibing, you probably need to shut it down, shut them off or, you know, start calling cabs. I think that's the smartest thing you can do. Call a bus. Uh, You know, plan ahead is the biggest thing here. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're going to have a party, maybe you should just hire a bus if you can to to drive those people home. I think that the biggest words of advice I can give are this. Um, you got to be aware and be educated about what the consequences are. A lot of people may not necessarily understand the amount of money this is going to cost them, even if it is their first time uh, making a mistake. And by the way, we all make mistakes, but preventable mistakes cost you a little bit more, okay? Because you're making a choice. And by the way, Even if you don't plan ahead accurately, and you may, like, I'm only going to have two drinks, but you end up having four or five. A lot of situations I feel are, I don't want to leave my car here. Well, leaving your car at the bar is a lot better than having Trooper Munoz pull you over five blocks away from the bar and causing all this havoc in your life or perhaps hurting another person. But I would say the biggest deterrent is the amount of money that it's gonna cost you. If, 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 if all else is pushed aside, meaning the safety, the safety of others, uh, the health of others, um, just to think about all the consequences of having maybe two drinks or three drinks and getting in your car and driving, the burden is nowhere near worth the benefit in terms of just getting into an Uber and driving home.
0: And and to your point too, I mean, if you're at an event and it does go a little longer and you want to stay and you're having a good time, enjoy yourself. But just know that you're going to be there a little longer than you planned. Sure. Because there's people waiting for you at home and they could have two little legs like your children or, Keith, you know, I cannot do an interview with you. We all have four, four-legged friends. You know, children. I cannot yes. do an interview with and It's not going to be a surprise to anyone in here. Right. I'm going to talk about our four-legged friends. And there was a commercial a couple years back. I think it was a Budweiser commercial. I don't remember. But, you know, if you get in an accident, what's going to happen to your home or what's at your home? Think, think about that, right? So stay a little longer. Have some bread. Have some carbs. Make sure you're ready to drive. And don't turn on your loved ones or your friends and family when they say, hey, we'll give you a ride home. Or, hey, don't drive right now. 100%. All right, did we cover everything? Because I want to make sure I get this right because this is too important.
1: The embarrassment, I mean, yeah. I, I can't imagine getting into a car with a friend of mine after having been arrested for driving under the influence and having to say, hold on a second while I blow into the interlocking ignition device to yeah. prove that I am not right. further intoxicated. I imagine one of my friends might might decide to get out of that car and drive their, their own car <laughs> at that point. Um, and I'm not sure their opinion of me would be, Where it once was. You should have some self-awareness about who you want to be and who who the world looks at you or how the world looks at you. And that, if anything else can't deter you, that should. Uh, The amount of money and the embarrassment that this is going to cost and the inconvenience of not having your license, not being able to drive. The DMV, one thing we didn't mention is the DMV. Is a separate court oh, than the criminal court. Yes. So the the DMV can they have the power to suspend your license for however long they see fit. And
0: that's what I think I was getting at earlier on. That's what I wanted to touch on because I, you know, when you are a first time offense, so so.
1: So you have to now go to DMV court and fight for your license to get back, and then you have to go to the criminal court, face a judge who is then going to ask a whole slew of questions about the circumstances of the accident. Before they, if you're applying, they have an accelerated you rehabilitation know. program. If you're applying for that, you may not get it if the circumstances
0: don't warrant it. So you keep the license for 24 hours, the car gets impounded for 48 hours. That's just with the, the, the criminal stuff. If Correct. I'm, and I'm using legal jargon, as you can tell. But after that, then there's the DMV court, which may not let you. Drive even if you're holding your license. Well, they can, re- they, can they can suspend your license
3: yes. for thirty days, what sixty days. What a complete days, 90. nightmare! Like I'm 90. exhausted
0: listening there's, to. There's
3: a couple. Depends on yeah. uh, depends on your breathalyzer. Correct the amount about, that you've invited. right. So if um, if you decline the breathalyzer, it's an, like an automatic. I believe it's thirty days. That's another thing I
1: wanted you to mention was that if you decline to be tested, you're automatic six months. Six months. That's yes. Yeah. So if you decide, automatic. unfortunately, if you are pulled over and brought down to um, a station to be breathalyzed and you refuse to be breathalyzed or blood tested or a urine analysis, um, it's six months automatic suspension from the, the DMV. They, there's, there's no way around that. They will not make an exception to that if you because it's almost as though you're admitting, you know, I'm above the legal limit. I'm just not going to give you the evidence to prove it.
0: Well, if that doesn't create any awareness, I really don't know uh, what will. What a way to to save all the good stuff till the end. That's a good tease you guys gave me when uh, promoting this. But yeah, that's that's incredible. And and I didn't realize when I was asking these questions, I just assumed all of this information would have come out. I had no idea that the DMV was a separate a separate issue in court. So there's a lot of money, a lot of fines, and a lot of information to be aware of. Uh, Trooper Munez, anything else? Yeah.
3: No. I mean, it, it's. Trooper Salerno did mention it real quick, but we call it per se. It's, it's yeah, per se. It's, it's called the per se hearing. The and, yep, per, right. terminology is per se hearing. So that that's the DMV court as per uh, se
0: sounds so much uh, nicer. He put it in <laughs> layman terms, made
3: it understand, made everybody understand better. So there's a per se hearing that that's where your your license gets suspended, thirty days, sixty days, six months, whatever, whatever your circumstance. Um, cause you know causes for um and then then you have the criminal charges then you go to court then you have to deal with all that if Who there's a fine or any, please any don't
0: that. do this by the way renee i
3: just wanted to mention once you
1: if you are capable legally of getting the accelerated rehabilitation program just so you know it, depending on the amount of alcohol that was in your system you have to go to courses eight to 12, I think. Don't quote me on that one. You have to pass these classes. You have to go to them in order to prove to the court that you have been rehabilitated. So this just isn't, you get to go home and sort of sit there and say, gee, I made a mistake. You're going to be reliving it eight times to 12 times throughout that next year. Um, And by the way, if you don't attend those classes, you're out of the program and you will receive the maximum fine uh, from the courts.
0: I'll tell you what, and we haven't even talked about insurance, ladies and gentlemen. That's going to have to be for another time because we've run out because my friendly guests have decided to save all the hard-hitting stuff towards the end of this interview. Oh my gosh, this is incredible, but I do want to say thank you to Sandra who is our producer and also community access assistant. Um, For Uber, you can use a discount code if you you want, and it runs through January 14th of 2022, and it's called Save the Night CT, and it'll be available, uh, it is actually available now, and it runs through 2022, January 14th, uh, through the hours of 5 p.m. and 4 a.m. So really, there's just no excuses here. I want to thank our guests today. I'm going to have you guys come back in the new year, just sort of recap and maybe get the end of year stats to see how we did and hopefully touch wood again. Um, we stay at zero fatalities because that's that's really important. So uh, thank you so much for all of your information. Our partners in the community, Keith Trantolo of Trantolo and Trantolo and Troopers Muniz and Salerno of the Connecticut State Police. here here and i hope community stay safe everybody